This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. So Friday night, I was in Reno. My parents were getting remarried. So they're in there, and, and I'm there. My fiance's there, and I'm in the Western Village in Sparks. I walk into the casino. I just happen to glance the big screen and see that final score. You didn't see anything else? Just no, no, no. I, oh. I, I watched like the first first two quarters. Gotcha. I watched the first two first quarters. Half, yeah. First half left at halftime. And we had a little party, came yeah. back. I'm yeah. in the casino. And I see that final score, and I, I swear to God, the first thing that popped in my mind was, wow. How did you feel after that game? Uh, you know, <clears throat> I guess, well, obviously, I mean, you know is better than anybody. I said Oregon would beat Utah. I mean, Oregon lost to ASU, immediately came in here, and I said, look, here's the deal. Oregon's going to beat Oregon State, and then Oregon's going to beat Utah. Was I supremely confident going into the game? No, I'd be lying if I said that Utah – you know, is a good team. They're they're uh, they're a physical team. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, obviously coach of the year in the Pac-12, which we could talk about later. But he's a good coach, no question. Um, you know, that's a good Utah team. But I had I had the questions that really I'm surprised not that many had. Who have they beaten? You know, and when we started talking about it, they they lost to USC. Their next closest opponent in terms of quality was Washington whom they beat by five, and it took all four four quarters to do. So, you know, as much as we pick on maybe like the SEC or Clemson or whatever, you know, we start looking at Clemson's like, wow, who's Clemson beat? Well, who's Utah beat? And apparently it's nobody. (laughs) No, that was was my biggest question coming into this game. We know the Ducks beat Auburn, or Ducks played Auburn, Mm -hmm. almost beat Auburn. Right. We knew the Ducks played in a tougher division. Right. Who's Utah beat? Yeah, I mean, I can't. I mean, their best win is Washington. Mm-hmm. Who, I mean, sure, it's that's a good win, but that's not a great win. No. They, they don't have, and so I, I think you see that. You know, that really. I mean, we go back, and you know, here it is. The game was played on Friday, and now it's Wednesday, so it seems like it's been played forever ago. But I mean, the final score there. I mean, Oregon should have had another fourteen points, right? I mean, that's right. just, I mean, at least. I mean, they, 20 to nothing at halftime could have been 40 to nothing. Yeah, just the way they whooped up on them and, and missed a little bit, you know, a few opportunities there. It really felt like, you know, Oregon did Utah a favor keeping it as close as it was, which it really wasn't all that close. So, I mean, great win, great way to send out, you know, just a, a great, you know, for Mario Cristobal to lose that week of recruiting, which you did, you know, uh, uh, Coach Whittingham and Coach Cristobal both lost that week of recruiting, which is very valuable time. But to lose it and but be able to come out of it like that, like Mario Cristobal did, it makes up for a little bit of that lost time, in my opinion. Your conference champs, you're headed to the Rose Bowl, you just kicked the crap out of Utah. I mean, all those things really play into your favor for that week of lost time. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's the game, not so much nationally, but in in the western part of the country for the athlete in California 
or the athlete in Washington or the athlete in Nevada, which right. now is going to obviously be uh, pretty contested. We'll right. talk about that later. This is the game where Oregon says we are the top dog. Yeah, and leaves no questions about it, really. I mean, I, I, I think let's – I mean, I know when we had Yogi on, you know, he felt like Utah and USC were viable teams in the South. But let's face it, we all really felt like the Pac-12 championship was coming out of the North. Yes. And I'm talking yes. about August, September. We all felt that Th- way. That was the narrative all August. Yeah. I mean, Stanford, Oregon, Washington. Yeah. And we felt Washington would be a little better than they were. I knew I I believed there would be some drop off, which which uh, was obviously credible. I didn't think Stanford was as good as they've been, although I thought they would be better than they were this year. Yeah. Um, to me, that was more of just trust in the coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, for Oregon, uh, huge. Win. I mean, gosh, you know, we just. I feel like we're taking it for not like you and me. I feel like as a fan base, Oregon fans are taking what's been done this season for granted. Right. I mean, I have people tweeting at me like, oh, you know, didn't exceed expectations and stuff like that. It's like, what were your expectations? You expected Oregon to be a a playoff championship team this year? Right. I mean, you, you beat Washington. You beat Oregon State. You won the Pac-12 championship. You're going to the Rose Bowl. That was about the that, that was the ceiling to me. So you know, you've said before I'm a lurker. I don't right. post a lot on Scoop Duck, but I do read and and especially I I check it for a couple minutes every day just to cross reference and see okay what are these guys talking about what are what are good angles for my show and and what are things that I can learn. I remember in August you asked everybody what are the expectations for this team, right. and overwhelmingly people said. The ceiling is 10. 10 wins. If you get 10 wins, you're golden. Right. And you got 10 wins. Right. And you won a Pac-12 title, and you're going to the Rose Bowl, and this is year two for Mario Cristobal. Right. Year two. Two years ago, he is an unknown. Right. Fired by FIU. Mm-hmm. Never coached at a Power 5 school. That's the resume. And two years later... He's exceeded your expectations, got you to the Rose Bowl. What what else do you need? The crazy part is, and, and we'll back it up, wasn't even a coordinator at Alabama or right. Oregon. Right. Like to I mean, you took an offensive line coach, and I feel like I'm degrading Coach Chris Ball. I know he's not listening, he's busy. But you took an offensive line coach and said, This is the guy, which I mean, you know, I, I'm not I am going to toot my own horn. I said he was the guy when right. it all started. Yes. I know Jim Levitt really wanted it. Mario Cristobal really wanted it. You know, there was, you know, rumblings about Chip Kelly and Tom Herman and, and, and Kevin. I'm sitting here going, man, it sure looks like the best candidate's sitting right there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody wanted to point to his inexperience. And, and, and I get it. I understand all that. It's really a bit of an out-of-the-box hire if, you, if we go back to that point. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you and I, you know me. I'm a recruiting guy, right? The lifeline of dang near any school, any major program is recruiting. Right. So why not hire a guy who is an elite recruiter? I mean, Mario Cristobal is one of the best recruiters there is in the country. Right. I mean, so if if that's the lifeline of your program and this guy is really good at it, hopefully he can figure out the rest. It's not a bad hire on the surface if you strip it all down. It just turned out that he's a little better than that. Yeah. Or a lot better than that. And I think two years in, like like you said, the takeaway is they've exceeded expectations. Yeah. You've exceeded expectations, 
But even, and you and I talk about this a lot, even in doing so, you've developed, you haven't just developed players, you've developed a program. Mm -hmm. We understand now how important strength and conditioning is, and we can see how big of an impact that's had on this team. We can understand better now how uh, good or bad coaching hires can impact this team and why Mario Cristobal takes his time with his hires, with his decisions, and how he's been able to do that effectively. All these little decisions that before we just kind of said, yeah, you know, Chip Kelly's great coach, you know, because because of, of his offense. That's pretty much everybody. but there's so much more that goes into it, right? And and we really see that front and center now, and we see how good Mario Cristobal is at all those things, right? And I think he could still grow a little bit as a game manager, a little bit. If I mean, if we're ranking things, that might be one of the lower things, but it's not like he's so poor at it. It detracts everything else it's mm -hmm. like hey if there's one area you can get better at it's this otherwise your ace is everywhere else right you know what i mean moments of brilliance and moments of failure yep. I, I think about the auburn game where you go for it on fourth down and everybody on the planet knows you're yeah. going to run the ball up the middle yeah and they run the ball up the middle and auburn right. stuffs them right but then i think about like the the washington game two years ago where a lot of people would want you to throw the ball there on the goal line you're five yards from the end zone. Yeah. Throw the ball. You're too far to run it. And what does he do? Punches it right up the middle. In in my opinion, if you're if you're a program like Oregon or or whoever, if you're a big program, you play to your strengths, right? And I think I think Mario Cristobal feels that running the football is the strength of his football team. He's felt that this year. Probably felt that last year, given the way the receivers played last year. If, if it's me and I'm sitting there with the playbook and I look at it and it says, hey, look, it's 50% run, 50% pass here, you're going to defer to your strength. So uh, in my opinion, I think we can circle those instances that maybe didn't work out in Oregon's favor, but go look at how many did along mm -hmm. the season. Right. You know, you know, points in the Washington game this year were running the ball on third and short or fourth and short and getting that first down. You know, you stick with your strengths. I think if you're over the course of a season – you know, you got an 80% success rate there versus 20% failure rate. Take the 80 and run with it. You know what I mean? So, you know, I get your point. But, yeah, I think – I just think that, you know, we can second guess. We can always second guess things that makes it easier. But at the end of the day, you know, Mario Cristobal over the course of a season played to the numbers, I think, in a lot of areas. And that led to, you know, the Rose Bowl win, the Pac-12 championship win. All these things, if you play to the numbers, you're going to get to where you want to go in the long run. Yeah, and and it's just amazing to me to see all of his goals and, and all of the hopes for this program all come to fruition. And you know the crazy part is that we haven't, and some, I mean, like some people kind of mention it, but like let's just, what, what were they? Uh, Oregon was like nine points away from a pack, from a playoff. Oh. I mean, from a playoff, I mean, from a secure playoff spot. A Hail Mary. Yeah. Oh, oops, that's my alarm for my phone. Oh. I'll, I'll turn that off here. Should have beat Auburn, obviously, in that opener. Should have beat Auburn. Right. Let, let that one get away from you. You had an opportunity. Hail Mary pass at the end, sails into the end zone. You had two, two. if you had maybe two, three more minutes against ASU, possibly you beat them. Yes. You know, you're literally like 10 points away, you know, or less from a playoff spot. I mean, had Oregon won either one of those games preferably the ASU game, they probably would have snuck into the playoffs this year. Right. That's how freaking close it. But that's that just shows you how close college football is. It's uh, always going to be that close. I'll take it one step further. To me, your three plays. Yeah. There is the fourth down call in the Auburn game. 
There's a dropped touchdown in the first half of that game. Right. And then a, a Herbert turnover after that touchdown. And then there is the third and a mile against ASU. Right. If those three plays, the drop touchdown, the fourth down call, and the, the third and a billion, if those turn out differently, yeah. you're looking at a playoff team. Right. And that's I guess that's what I'm going to parlay this into. Next year, everybody's going to automatically assume that this is a playoff team. Well, okay, maybe you do, and maybe it is. I don't really know. I haven't started to look that far ahead. Obviously, we know there's going to be a different offensive line. There's going to be a different quarterback, you know, going to be a different middle linebacker. You know, we know that those those are knowns. Um, you know, we'll see in the spring kind of where things are at, but it just indicating how close this season was for Oregon, it's not going to be any different next year. It's not like they're exponentially better suited to make the playoff Mm -mm. it's still razor thin it's literally plays away it's literally yards away it's two minutes away i mean that's just how razor thin things are when you get to this point i mean getting to the you know going from the ninth win to the 10th win is pretty razor thin going from the 10th win to the 11th win even thinner you know what i mean it's just on and on so Mm -hmm. i just you know i feel like the expectations for next year should be lower but not like basement lower like Maybe you win eight, nine games. You're going to have a brand new quarterback. Yeah. A lot of new faces on the old line. New play caller. We'll talk about that a little sure. bit later. Yeah. All that said, yeah. you're two years in. You got a Rose Bowl. You just came off an 11 win season. Yep. Monster recruiting classes. I feel like you can trust Mario Cristobal to replenish enough next year. Yeah. I think that's the key. I, I think the biggest takeaway for me is you may not have Justin Herbert's elite arm strength, and I will definitely give him that all day long, but you might have a little better decision-maker in Tyler Shuck. I don't know. We don't know, but that might be some of the trade-off. And then at offensive line, and these are just early thoughts here, people, just early thoughts that we're going we're gonna to skip over. Right. At we'll offensive spend line, nine months talking about this. At offensive line, you won't have the experience and the cadence that you've had, but I think overall across the line, you'll probably have more talented players. And I and I love Shane Lemieux for all he's done and Anson and Throckmorton and those guys. But I think Stephen Jones and Jonah Tawanu'u, you know, those guys are the next wave of, you know, it's not fair to call them Panay Sewells, but I mean Panay Sewell-esque players. Right. You know what I mean? Just a different caliber of talent. Man, I get fired up thinking about this. I, I tweeted out a love affair of Kayvon, Twib- uh, Kayvon Thibodeau yeah. this weekend about just how I saw him do it all. Right. Rush the edge, rush the interior, cover tight ends, the the block. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, think about this. Get excited for this. There is a video clip from when they were high school seniors. Mm-hmm. Jonah Tawanu'u going 1v1 with Thibodeau. Yeah. And Jonah held his own. Oh, yeah. And everything you love about Thibodeau, everything that Duck fans went crazy about with Thibodeau, imagine having a guy just as good on the opposite side of the ball. And I think Stephen Jones might be even better. And I, you know, I know he didn't play as much this year, but the problem is, you know, they tried to get Stephen Jones. From my understanding, they tried to get Stephen Jones in at guard a little bit, and it just wasn't quite a fit. He wasn't quite as effective there. But you really couldn't put him in front of Calvin Throckmorton. You know, Throck experienced. He's consistent. He, right. I mean, he's a team guy. I mean, there's a lot there to love about Throckmorton. Right. And so I think you're talking about Stephen Jones now has a clear path to the right tackle spot, potentially has this off season to develop, has the spring game to develop, 
I think you're talking about a guy next year that we're going, yep, that's a dude. Oregon's Oregon's good on the ends. You got Panay on one side and <laughs> Stephen Jones on the other. But anyway, so uh, we got a quick we got we have two guests today, but we're going to keep them on the short side. We're going to try and burn through this sucker. Uh, first up is going to be Hithla Day. We're going to get him on just kind of talk about what he's seen at least from the offense that Oregon was running <laughs> the last couple weeks, and just some of the takeaways he's got from the film. We're not going to preview Wisconsin very much on this podcast. There's no need to. We got weeks. We got weeks to do that. We'll get people on. We'll do that. We're going to give Hithla Day a chance to break down their film a little bit more, but for today, we'll just finish some review on that. And then uh, and then my man, uh, Mark McMillan, uh, used to be uh, dubbed Mighty Mouse. Uh, Mark McMillan played at Alabama was a cornerback there. Uh, he played for the Philadelphia Eagles for a number of years. Hopefully some of you guys remember him. He's like barely taller than me, which is really short. But, I mean, the guy's got the, the heart of a champion, the heart of a, heart of a lion, plays big. So um, we'll get him on. He, uh, he now is working in the Las Vegas market and has been kind of covering this UNLV coaching search from down there, runs the ESPN, ESPN radio show down there. We'll get some initial reaction from him on the Marcus Arroyo hire, and uh, we'll just keep we'll just keep podcasting. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny how you said um, it, you're glad that this news was official before we talked today. Right. I, I wonder just the speed of this, how fast it went down. I mean, for the people that follow me on Scoop Duck, I know that, you know, without tipping your sources. No, 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 no. That's fine. I mean, like, I mean, there was there was I, I mean, I, I don't know all the guys, but Adam Rittenberg and all of a sudden all these, you know, and Feldman Feldman always cut, covers coaching searches. So I expected him to be involved. But there's all these guys that, you know, it's Arroyo, it's Aranda. Oh, no, it's back to Arroyo. No, it's oh, and hold on. Last minute back to Aranda. Honestly, I felt like it was Arroyo the whole time. I just I did. I mean. There was no, and and I could have been wrong. I could have been on the wrong end of the uh, things here, and I would have owned it. But I'm. There was no way I could rationalize Dave Aranda and his two and a half million dollar salary just to coach defense. Yeah. Coming to UNLV of all places, the school I feel could be on the come up, but he's had other offers before coming to UNLV, and probably maxing out at one and a half million. I'm guessing at best. I doubt they could even get to two million for him. Uh, it'd be tough. I doubt it. But even if he got one and a half, you're taking a pay cut to come and coach a whole team in Las Vegas mm-hmm. at UNLV makes zero freaking sense to me. Like just on the surface, no emotion attached to it. It made zero freaking sense to me. None. Yeah. And I think I, the guy could have a job. Like if uh, he probably could have put his name in the ring for the Arkansas job or the Ole Miss job. I mean, he could probably get an SEC job. If he really wanted it, which makes no sense why he would take UNLV. And I'm not trying to pick on UNLV. I think they have potential. I got the, they got the new stadium. You, you're at an airport hub. Getting flights to Las Vegas is easy for recruiting purposes. Uh, I know they've got the new facilities. I think there's a lot to like there. But it's still UNLV at the end right. of the day. Right. And and I think when you factor all that in, Arroyo makes a lot of sense. Tons. And, and I want to bounce that off your UNLV guy because I, I can't wait to find out. Like, Duck fans think this is a good move for him. Yeah. Do you think this is a good move for him? And, and I think he'll be able to answer that. Yeah, I think so. But And I do, but we'll, we'll get more into that. I mean, I, I think it's the right move. I, I mean, we've heard Mario Cristobal say this many a times. I'm not going to get mad at any of my coaches that advance their career. That's the goal here. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Literally said that a week ago yeah. about Marcus Arroyo. Yeah. I mean, if you're an offensive coordinator, the next logical progression for you is head coach somewhere. 
So, you know, obviously Marcus Arroyo felt that he was ready. UNLV felt that he was ready. And whether Oregon fans loved his offense or not, you don't have to watch it anymore. Right. Yeah, that's the other angle. <laughs> yeah, I guess. We'll get into all that. But first up, let's bring Hithliday. Just kind of review the last two weeks. We haven't had him on for a couple weeks. Review Oregon State, review Utah, and, uh, and then we'll kind of get back into, into more current ongoings. He's Hithliday. We've had him on before. We're going to have him on again in the future. I love every chance we get to talk to you, my friend. Um, I just asked Justin about instant reaction. When the Ducks blow out Utah and win the Pac-12 title, I thought, wow. Justin thought, you know, about expectations and, and, and Mario Cristobal delivering on all of his objectives. What did you think when you saw that final score? Um, I, I'm not going to say uh, I predicted exactly that outcome um, because – so much of Oregon's season was Oregon getting in its own way, and there's just no way to tell whether there, this was going to be another game in which they did that or not. But I will say the preview article that I wrote about Utah, and of course I wrote you know 12 review articles about Oregon going into that game, was that I, I very firmly believe that Oregon was a fundamentally stronger team than Utah, that, um, that Utah... I don't want to say that they were an overly lucky team or, or anything. I don't want to take too much away from Utah, but they were handed a lot of gifts. And if teams didn't hand them those gifts, if they played strong fundamental football and didn't abandon the run and actually attacked Utah at where they thought they were strongest, which was their interior defensive line, um, that those teams would have done a lot better than they did. And, uh, you know, the question was going to be, is Oregon going to uh, play to the level that they should be playing, stop killing themselves with dumb stuff, and uh, and actually do what Utah um, presented as their their weaknesses, actually attack those weaknesses. And Oregon did that. And I have to say, a little part of me was surprised that Oregon actually, <laughs> you know, executed, uh, you know, against those vulnerabilities. But in terms of those vulnerabilities being there and Oregon being strong in ways that would take advantage of them. No, that didn't surprise me at all. That was exactly what I was expecting. Uh, Oregon had a lot of success on the ground uh, in that game, which I know raised a ton of eyebrows. And uh, just from your review was, uh, I guess, what uh, – I know you kind of answered this already, but what was really the main ingredient there? Was it Oregon just really uh, deciding to attack them downhill uh, and in the interior? It looked like the offensive line, from my review, played one of its strongest games all season, just from even like a fundamental technical standpoint, just the execution, if you will. Are those a lot of the things you saw in this football game in your review? Uh, yes, certainly. I, I do think the offensive line played very well. A big part of that was Jake Hansen getting back, which, in addition to the fact that you get Jake Hansen back, uh, it meant that Calvin Throckmorton moved back to where he ought to be, which is in the right tackle spot, and it meant that Brady Aiello could rotate with Dallas Wormack at right guard. Oregon effectively has a six-man rotation that they've been playing when they had all six guys of those health, uh, being healthy. And so, you know, yes, the offensive line was, um, you know, at its you know, at its full strength. Um, and so that was very good. Um, it, it's also the case that this is going to be a little technical. Um, first of all, their interior defensive linemen, while they are very big and strong, they can be moved. They have uh, technique and flexibility issues that were clear on film. 
um, and I wrote about them in my article for all to see. And uh, number two is because they play in a four-two-five, they've they've only got two inside linebackers, right? And that puts a little more on their shoulder than if they were playing a four-three, right? They've got one fewer dude. And the way that Utah deals with that, since their inside linebackers are very good, um, is they're very aggressive. They attack the gap. They make a guess of where the rush play is going to be, and they they attack that. And usually they're right, but. Oregon played them in such a way, and this is a little more technical than we do in a podcast, but you can read my article and see. Uh, Oregon attacked them in such a way to make those linebackers always wrong, and so there was always a gap to run to, and that was excellent uh, execution and play calling. If, if you had to take a guess, who would you credit the most for that? Uh well, I think the MVP of the game is uh, Jake Hansen um, in, in that he's calling out the protections. That's more of a pass thing, but it's also like identifying where the linebackers are. Um, I think his return was huge. I, I would give him the MVP of the uh, award. And the other thing, um, to pivot a little bit uh, to the passing game, is that the return of Jake Hansen meant the re- return of the run-pass option. Um, if you recall, uh, Jake Hansen, uh, around halftime in the Arizona State game, was injured. We and don't know what the injury was, but he was out. And Calvin Throckmorton had to move over, and he was uh, snapping the ball. And in the entire second half, there were those, you may recall, these like bloopy-looking snaps. Remember those? It was like this weird kind of slow arc to get to Justin Herbert. He'd have to oh, jump yeah. the ball or whatever. Yep, yep. And it, and it was the one of the big, big problems in the ASU game was that that throws off the run-pass option timing. You have to get that, like, your window to make that to make that decision and then make that throw is infinitesimally small um, for a variety of reasons I won't get into, but the timing of that was so thrown off that Oregon was not effectively using their RPO game in the second half of the Arizona State game. That was a big problem. And then the Oregon State game, and the reason why I found that to be the most like strategically fascinating game, and I'm going to write an entire breakdown of that game in the offseason. I'm really looking forward to it because it was the most amazing, interesting game planning decision was they completely took the RPO out of the playbook for that game. And that was Oregon's bread and butter. Like it was hard to see unless you were doing film study. I understand why most people didn't pick up on it, but it was their bread and butter and they took it out and Oregon still won. Um, And they did it without Jake Hansen because they, and ironically, Calvin Throckmorton was snapping the ball a lot better. They probably could have run RPOs in the civil war game, but they couldn't have known that. Um, So, that's why when Jake Hansen comes back for the conference championship game and all of a sudden they're getting these crisp snaps. I mean, they were gorgeous. It was like he took that time off uh, uh, well, and uh, and he was delivering these great crisp snaps, and Oregon's RPO game was back, and they were you know putting uh, Utah into binds a lot because that's what the RPO does. Interesting. Yeah, I guess uh, I didn't pay that close of attention, but it, it sounds like you're attributing the, I guess, lack of offense, if you will, uh, against Oregon State and Civil War, you know, to that RPO element more than more than anything else that you can recall. Yeah, they're they're they were they're missing their fundamental play, the play around or the, the components to their plays. Right. And, you know, that was the thing that sort of, you know, we talked about this last time I was on the podcast. It's the thing that supercharged Oregon's playbook in 2019 versus 2018. And, you know, Oregon was missing that supercharger. Uh, in the, in the previous three halves of football, and they got it back in this one. Gotcha. Yeah. No. So it, uh, the uh, the uh, 
Civil War offense you saw was <laughs> shades of the 2018 offense, it sounds like. Um, there was definitely that, and also it was better than people think. You know, like Oregon got into the red zone a whole lot based on pretty good play calling, pretty good execution, and then bad stuff happened. You right. know, Jalen Red hit the pylon, kind of bad stuff. Like, you know, the stuff that makes you pull your hair out. Um, sure. But, like, you know, if you examine it on a fundamental strength basis, Oregon's offense was pretty good in the Civil War, to be honest. Right. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna switch back to the Pac-12 championship game. Oregon's defense, I thought, played a hell of a game. Uh, really kept Utah in check most of the night, other than the opening drive of the second half. There, what uh, what was working? What did you kind of see them doing well to uh, to limit Utah uh, in that one? Well, that one didn't take a lot of film study to see. Uh, you know, it was it was plain to anybody watching the game live was that uh, Oregon was just destroying Utah's offensive line. Um, it, even to an extent which surprised me a little bit, um, you know, in film study, I thought it was pretty clear that Utah, the, the right side of their line is pretty weak, which is true. Um, it, you know, they're basically their strength went, you know, they were strongest left tackle, weakest right tackle, and was like a steady progression down from left to right. Um, Oregon was attacking them all over. In fact, one of my favorite plays that I put in the article, Kayvon Thibodeau attacks their strongest lineman, their left tackle, um, you know, rocks him back with a hard hit. Before he can re-anchor, uh, Thibodeau's cut inside and put his arm up and, and alters the throwing angle for uh, for Tyler Huntley. It's one of those plays that it doesn't get recorded in the stat book. It doesn't go down as a QB hurry. It's certainly not a, sna- a sack. But if you watch the film, it's very clear that what Thibodeau did to their left tackle, to their best lineman, caused that to be an incomplete pass. And uh, Oregon was doing that to them all night long. Yeah, I feel like he's had plays like that every game this year. Yep. Uh, when when you look back to that Thibodeau play against Utah and you see what he's done this year, what expectations do you have for him next year? Uh, sky's the limit. I mean, and you can tell he he still has some work to do in the weight room, and he's not done. Um, and, I mean, that's the thing that was remarkable. You know, I made sure to put clips uh, of the four different true freshmen who were playing on defense who were all had excellent games. Not only Thibodeau, but Mesuna had an excellent game. The corner, Mikhail Wright, had an excellent game. Brandon Dorless, number 97, yeah. I put two clips of him in my yeah. article, Kicking Butt. That, that was a divisional champ. Power Five team that Brandon Dorless was whipping the hell out of. He's a true freshman. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I, I think that's a guy. Uh, so before we had John Hith, I was talking up Stephen Jones, which I know you probably don't have a ton of film study on from this year, but yeah, I, I've got a bit. He was playing at the beginning of the year, and then I think got injured, right? A little bit. You know, they were trying to work him in at guard, and it really just wasn't working. Yeah, he's a he's naturally a tackle. Obviously. Naturally, yeah, and so that's why my. What I was saying is Stephen Jones next year at tackle with Throckmorton gone is going to be a dude to watch. I agree with you on the defensive line. Dorless is kind of the next guy there on that side of the ball as right. well. Right. We saw games this year yeah. where he was just a freak. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. And then we didn't see him much in this game. But uh, the guy that I really like, Drew Mathis, mm-hmm. in uh, at linebacker. You know, he was playing in the Wazoo game due to Troy Dye's injury, and like he was having some trouble uh, at the beginning of the game. But like, you know. The way that you have to defend Wazoo puts a ton of pressure on the inside linebackers. Right. People think it's all about the cornerbacks, and it's not. It's about the linebackers and the safeties. And Drew Mathis played a hell of a game. Yeah. You know, I, I know the score looks like he got lit up, but he really wasn't. He was he was playing very well. Yeah. So I, I think Oregon's in very good hands for its freshmen on the defense. 
That's uh, that's definitely throwing him right into the fire, uh, if you will, for Drew Mathis, like you said. You know, yeah. put him against a power team like Utah, and his his decision making goes way down, or you know that he has to. Do. Uh, Wisconsin's on deck, and I told you before we got on hit that we would get you back on before that game. You're going to review it more. Just just your very early uh, in closing here. Your very early initial thoughts on that game before we send you off. Okay, so take this with a big grain of salt because uh, what I've done is I, uh, before I chart the games, I go and get all the play-by-plays that I can and, uh, you know, put together uh, the grid of everything that I'm going to see. Um, Now, inevitably, I wind up excluding a lot of those because they're garbage time. And inevitably, there are a lot of mistakes in the play-by-plays. One of the reasons why I, you know, I chart the games myself because I trust my eyeballs um, more than I do the official play-by-play. Um, so without having pulled all that stuff out, so this is very preliminary, take it with a grain of salt. Um, what I'm looking at is a team that uh, their rush offense is successful on about 62% of their snaps, which is that's a championship caliber rush offense. And their play calling is smart because it's about a 60-40 split uh, rush to pass. So, you know, they're taking advantage of their strength on offense. That's good. Um the other three quadrants of their team, their passing offense, their rush and pass defense, are at about 51 to 53% uh, per play efficiency. Again, I haven't pulled out garbage time. I haven't uh, corrected the play-by-play, so I may come to different conclusions by the time that I finish this. But you asked me for my preliminary look, and that's what I'm seeing. And a 51 to 53 is, it's good, it's not great. Oregon has played a bunch of teams this year at about that success rate Um and they do very well against teams like that. Yeah, it, uh, it's going to be an, one thing. And, and again, I know you're going to go back into it. Just And this will be my final final. But I feel like it's somewhat of a lazy comparison to say they're a lot like Utah. I get some of the principles, but it seems like they're a fairly different team from Utah, at least from what you've seen so far. I yeah I just couldn't tell you. I mean l- okay. like I was saying when when we first got on uh, about Utah, I think Utah in a lot of ways was something of a mirage. Yeah. Um I, and I'm just not going to be able to know that about Wisconsin until I jump in and do film study. It could be that they are, it could be that they're the real deal. I we're just going to have to wait and see. I I definitely think they're the real deal. They got a lot more talent. They got an offensive line that that'll give Oregon a lot of trouble and they got a running back that's a hell of a running back. So and it looks like yeah. their quarterbacks fairly uh, efficient, I want to say. I don't think he. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I watched a bunch of their games, you know, casually as a fan on yeah. Saturday, and they they certainly look like the real deal. Yeah. On the other hand, they play in the Big Ten West. Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. <laughs> uh, he's Hith. That's a pretty big disclaimer. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah. yeah. No, that's right, huh? Uh, he's Hith Leday. You could check his stuff out. That he he'd mentioned articles and is addicted to quack. Make sure you guys are reading it every week. Yes. Uh, make sure you're following him on Twitter. And Hith, we appreciate your time. We'll get you back on here uh, in the next week or two to dig a little deeper into uh, Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. See you, buddy. Yeah, just to really hammer that home. If I had to pick two people from Duck's Twitter that I love that aren't Scoop Duck people, um, I can't pick J-Hop and I can't pick QB11 and pick your guys' brains. I am picking Adam and Hith over at Addicted to Quack. I love those guys. No, and and I don't know. I know you know Adam really well, and I don't know him as well, but, I mean, you know, Hith has been – 
uh, an absolute home run for us to bring on and just really an enlightenment to the Oregon community, not just Scoop Duck, not just this podcast, just to the Oregon Duck fan base, right? you know, to be able to break things down like he does and, and the time he invests. Uh, clearly, he enjoys it. Um, I hope at some point he could figure out a way to monetize it because I'd hate for him to get bored and move on. <laughs> uh, but no, I appreciate what he does and having him on. Like I said, you know, you really, I, I hadn't thought about it, but the uh, dismissal of the RPO game out of the Oregon State Civil War game makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, you go and see Oregon look a lot better offensively against uh, Utah. It's crazy to think that really just the two things that made that difference was the element of the RPO in the offense and Jake Hansen back at center. Right. And it sounds so simple and stupid, but those are the types of things that really impact your football team. On both, like you know, it could be defense too. But you know, I didn't look as good because they were missing, uh, you know, Troy Die at middle linebacker. Well, it it seems like it's just an injury next man up, but sometimes it's just not that simple. No, no, and and it's great to have that enlightenment and and a refined approach on Oregon football, and uh, great as well to to pick his brain on the intricacies of that offense because yeah. it's going to be something on our minds. Um, gonna be a hot topic. Yeah. yeah, I want. I wonder. Here's an interesting. I wonder if we'll have a new offense to try and talk about this time next week. I think so. You think? I, I, you I think? so. I wrote this down in my show prep. Okay. And I'm really excited to get to this today. When the Ducks had the whole Jim Levitt saga last year, sure. People forget it. It played out differently than we like to believe. Where. For two weeks, we were talking about he's going to go to conferences. He's going to have coaching opportunities elsewhere. And then the Ducks can kind of wipe their hands clean. Right. Everybody wins. That didn't happen. No. And <laughs> we were like, okay, all right, it's and done. Not, not for lack of effort either. No, no, no. Not for <laughs> lack of effort. Yeah. Oregon wanted to help him. When Mario says he doesn't mind coaches taking that promotion in that case, he really didn't mind. Yeah, that case would have been a demotion would have been okay. <laughs> but um, we were we were talking about how they're stuck with Levitt, and that's yeah. okay, and you're just going to make things work. And then they fired Jim Levitt. Right. And before we could even have the Who's the Next Guy podcast where we, we do this forecast like we're doing with Marcus Arroyo, they already had the guy. Yeah, it was pretty quick. I think that, yeah, and it was fairly quick, um, you know, for Oregon to do that. And I I think it'll be really close, you know. So we're talking about seven days from now. Seven days. A lot can happen in seven days. Um, the hard part is this particular weekend, you've probably got some official visitors on campus. And more than likely, any coaches that you're trying to bring, you know, be and run your offense – they probably have official visits at the school that they're currently at, more than likely. Mm. Um, I don't think it's any secret. Oregon's going to go after current offensive coordinators at other schools, so that's not really lighting the world on fire there. So I think timing-wise, you know, and not Breaking to mention— news. Well, not the to Ducks mention— are going to hire someone who is capable. Who is capable. And, Sorry. But you got Mario Cristobal on the road now uh, recruiting, making in-home visits, doing very important work there. His time is very, very—I mean— He's got his time is very important usually, but this these next four days it's magnified. These next five days it's magnified. So I think in a perfect world, because of how important recruiting is and hanging on to some of these offensive commits, you would love to have an offensive coordinator in place. 
by December 18th, the early signing day. I just don't know how viable that is. Right. That it seems really difficult to pull that off. But I guess we'll see. Okay, so I get that. That makes sense to me. Well, and the I, other I, thing, back it up. This move didn't catch Mario off guard. It's not like, wait, what? Marcus is leaving? He's had a good I mean this thing, this wasn't just like 2 days ago no. all of a sudden Marcus is linked to the UNLV job. I mean it's been linked for a few days. I guarantee you know Mario had to know before that even started. I I, I believe Mario and Marcus uh, continue to have a pretty good relationship. I'm sure there was open communication about all of this. They were friends. Yeah, yeah, I think they I think I don't this is not the Jim Levitt Mario Cristobal situation. I believe this is far different. Totally. Um so, yeah, it's not like we're saying that he has seven days because it, it happened today and, and next Wednesday is the early signing day. You know, I, he's probably had two, three, four days already to kind of come up with a list and look around and, and make some phone calls. But we know this. He's going to vet any of his choices. He's probably going to attempt to fly them out to Eugene, at least to meet the other staff who's also on the road recruiting. Right. Because he usually he's not going to make a hire like this without at least having the OC meet the existing offensive coaches, in it, my opinion. It's got to fit with Mastro and Coach Bo yeah. and and fit into what so they want. It's just you know the next three days, four days until Sunday can really. I mean, they're going to be really tricky. I don't know how it's going to work, but I guess that's what we're here to do. So, and that takes me to my next question here. You're saying that it's going to take more time than people might think, but Mario's got a list like he might work through that list. He might do his due diligence, but he's got a list. If I think's on the list, if I had to guess, I'm sure the list is probably let's just I'm just going to throw out a number that's probably fair. I bet you that list is a dozen names long, which sounds long. But he I mean, he is a thorough SOB, right? He's going to go through and let's just say there's 12 names on there. He's going to go through and make some initial phone calls and, and, and check things around and probably cross off four to five of those names fairly early. Yes. You no, know if, I mean? if you have 12 OCs, 12 current OCs on that list. Well, there's probably not all them. OCs. You probably got quarterback coaches. You know, you've got some of those guys that because you, you always got to look at the up and comers. I right. mean, you, you go look at uh, Clemson's quarterback coach. He's a hot name right now. You know, that's a, that's a guy you could consider. Um you know you're going to make those calls, and I think you're initially going to, you know, going to cross off four or five names, get you down to seven or eight. Uh, you know, at that point, I doubt you can bring seven or eight coaches in to meet with them given the timetable, but I bet you can bring three, four, five in. Yeah, I think that's kind of how the the you know the the methodology will work. You probably get it down to you get you get those first four or five off. You probably get it. Uh, you know, the next thing you do is maybe bring your staff in together and say, hey, look, these are the seven eight names I have now. You know, give me what you got. Who do you like? Don't like? What What do you know? Make a couple crossings off of there. Get it down to four or five, and and probably really get to work. Do you think there's any chance that one of the the internal guys are on that list? Yeah, I think uh, you know the one I'm most comfortable talking about at this particular moment. Keep in mind, uh, you know, right now as I sit in this chair, it's eleven thirty seven, which means the Arroyo News has been out for about two hours. So, you know, I do have a, obviously a hot board up, which I had ready because uh, this isn't my first day. And I, the one I'm most comfortable talking about right now is Jim Mastro. I, I just, yeah, the obvious question is, is he ready? What Can he take that step up? You know, clearly 
they put in the element of the pistol into the offense in large part due to Jim Mastro. He's been up at Wazoo to learn under Mike Leach for a couple years. He's been at Nevada, you know, with Chris Alt. Uh, Nick Rolovich was an offensive coordinator there at one point, now at Hawaii, the head coach at Hawaii. He's learned from some pretty sharp guys on offense. He's obviously had the ability to learn under Marcus Arroyo, uh, you know, probably knows the playbook. He's the run he's the run game coordinator, so at least if nothing else, he knows half the book. And he knows the important half because we know how important running the football is to Mario Cristobal. So if he's been your run game coordinator, uh, you know, I, I just I, I don't know how I don't know how people dismiss the idea that Jim Mastro could be the next offensive coordinator. I fully believe that he could be. I fully believe that he might be. I'd say he's one of the top two or three immediate choices right out the gate. Um but he'll be vetted like anybody else. You know, I mean, he's going to ask the other offensive coaches how they'd feel about, you know, coaching under him. If that's the case, let's just say, for for example, Jim Mastro's the next offensive coordinator. Okay, obviously now you've got to at least go find somebody to probably help you win the passing game and help coach and develop your quarterbacks. So that becomes maybe the next position there for Mario Cristobal to figure out if Jim Mastro's the guy. Right. It can be done. It can be done. It's just... And I and that's my thing. I think from that list of twelve, and again, I'm just using twelve. I don't know that that's the number. I'll bet that's pretty close. I'll bet you there's some quarterback coaches on there that Mario Cristobal considers coming in to coach with Mastro. Co OCs, you got quarterbacks. He's got running backs. Let's tie it in. Obviously, only one of them can call plays, but you see a growing trend of this in college football. Mm-hmm. You see more and more teams going with co-OCs and co-DCs for that matter right um so it is not completely out of the box for me to think that Jim Mastro could get this and be promoted but also have a co-offensive coordinator with him that works with quarterbacks in the passing game yeah no I I like that idea of you have Mastro and you have a passing game coordinator that he can lean on Mm -hmm. when it's third in a billion and that's not really his expertise sure but when it's third and four He's the expert. He's going to dial up the best darn run play on the planet. Yeah. I, and I think, uh, to his credit, I, I, I'm not going to say that he's the reason, but something that Hitlerday and I have talked about off air, I think he was a big part of, of getting the RPO into the offense this year. I think he deserves some credit with that. I'm not saying he deserves full credit, but I think some of the advancements of the offense uh, definitely – should be credited to Jim, Jim Mastro. And I'll say this now, just so it's not like I can't, you know, go on later and say, see, I told you so. I think Ken Wilson on the defensive side of the ball deserves a lot of credit for what he's done to help Andy Avalos with the defense. I think Andy Avalos is a tremendous defensive coordinator, but I don't believe Ken Wilson's getting enough talk about how, because some of that pre-snap movement and movement we've started to see with the defensive line, that's something Wazoo's done for years. Hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. And I know Ken and Wilson so you, was a you part think of that. That's on Ken Wilson. Well, I know he was a part of that. He was instrumental in that. It doesn't mean he deserves full credit. It doesn't mean we should take everything away from Andy Avalos. But good coaches listen to other good coaches. And I think Marcus Arroyo has leaned on and learned from Jim Mastro at times, just the same as I believe Andy Avalos has leaned on and learned from Ken Wilson, just the same. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. And probably Keith Hayward and, and you know some of the others. But those are just things to think about. But anyways. Uh, yeah, Oregon's going to have, you know, love or hate Marcus Arroyo's offense, you're going to have a new one. Yeah. Now you're now, but the problem is you, we, we, 
you know, it was one thing when you were going to have Marcus Arroyo and then he, he wasn't going to have Justin Herbert. You go, okay, if he doesn't have Justin Herbert, you know, who struggles making decisions with the ball, now we'll see how good Marcus Arroyo is. Well, you know, you're going to have a new quarterback and a new offensive coordinator. So I guess yeah. we'll just never know. I, I think, and I've got this in my notes for today on my show, I think that we'll find out an awful lot just seeing how he is at UNLV. And, and I can't wait to pick the brain of uh, your, your next guest to really feel that out. Yeah, I'd like to see just kind of the initial reaction in that area, in that market, and, uh, and just kind of see what uh, you know, Mark McMillan thinks about the hire. And really kind of hear a little bit more about UNLV. I mean, we've kind of heard some stuff on the surface about new facilities and stuff, but it sounds like there's a lot of excitement around that program, right. which is a good thing. Like, I'm a Raider fan, so I know about the stadium. Yeah. That stadium is going to be the greatest stadium in the world, but I had no idea that there were new facilities and, you know, more money being put in, all that stuff. So we get to find all that out. Would it still be the greatest stadium in the world if the Niners played in it? Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make no. sure. You got to have that black exterior and the yeah. Al Davis torch. I mean, I, I could I could ruin your podcast. I could absolutely destroy this podcast by just spending like two hours on the silver and black. Right. I have a a mercy for our listeners, so I'm not going to do that. You're going to spare them. Yeah. Yeah. But because uh, yeah. you can't hurt my feelings, you oh. can insult whichever NFL team you want, and I'll be like, okay. You, you know, it's actually really sad. So just don't insult Marcus Mariota, and we're good. Oh well. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean. I, I think the Titans screwed him. But you know what's really sad? Talk about stadiums. The Niners, and we just saw this Friday, the Pac-12 championship game wants to be in Santa Clara. They want to be in the Bay Area. Yeah. The other reason why they play that one on Fridays, aside from trying to hide from the SEC, is you can't play a game in Santa Clara during the day. It's terrible for fans. Yeah. Because the way that stadium is built, half of the stadium is blinded by the sun. Gotcha. If you play that game at 2 in the afternoon on a Sunday, blinded by the sun. You play that game at night, you're golden. They they built it at an angle where it is a miserable fan experience. Seems like a very strategic misfortune there. Yeah. Well, it, it forces people. You either have to get a seat in the lower deck, which is absurd. Sure, the yeah. prices are nuts. Right. Or you got to get a seat in a suite. Gotcha. And if you don't, you're either going to cook or you can't see crap. You're right. So, Jeez. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Niner fans can vouch. It right. is, is not like like the stick was bad. Candlestick Park. There were, there were some flaws. I've been to games at the stick. It's cold. It's windy. Right. Windy, yeah. It's ugly. Right. But that Santa Clara Stadium might be just as bad. Man, what a waste. Well, hopefully they'll move the Pac-12 championship to the new Raiders Stadium in Vegas. And just fix it all. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool, too, though. All right. So, okay. uh, Mighty Mouse, Mark McMillan. Again, uh, former uh, former Alabama. If you guys follow him on Twitter, okay, at Mark McMillan29. Uh, you know, he, he, he does give it a little roll tide because he played there. So, you got to give him the love on that. Uh, but uh, he was a former Philadelphia Eagle, I believe, played a number of years with Randall Cunningham and those guys, which has got to be pretty special. Uh, for him and uh, you know again he's one of those guys that probably shouldn't have made it to the league if you just if I mean because every everything today is about measurables right I mean if you're not you know six foot one and can run and jump you're not going to make it almost everything about this guy really screams like he shouldn't be in the NFL and he and he was and you got to love guys like that you know 
undersized, just got the heart of a champion, and they and they figure out a way to make it. So um, I've met Mark a couple times, and we've we've shared a beer or two. And uh, I know he's always tweeting about food he's cooking too, so we can ask mm. him about that. But uh, mm. let's get him on. He covers UNLV market and uh, and have him talk about this uh, new hire. Justin just gave him the introduction. NFL stud back in the day and the Mighty Mouse, Mark McMillan. Right now he works in radio in Vegas out in the desert. And it just so happens we got some news out of Vegas, right? Mario Cristobal, Ducks OC, moving on to take the head job there at UNLV. Mark, what's your reaction to that? Um, I... I I'm excited that they finally got somebody. You know, obviously with signing day coming, with uh, was like a week away. Yeah. You know, they had one of the top recruiting classes coming in uh, for the 2020. So hopefully they didn't lose out on a lot of those guys. But um, you know, in my thinking, I was always said, you know, go after a guy with a name, a proven uh, winner. I know um, uh, Gruden's brother's name was thrown out there. I know I was pushing for my ball coach uh, Jim Moore, who really wanted the job and. Um, you know, he, he, you know, didn't pan out that way. And, uh, but you know, we, we got a guy that's, uh, you know, has been in a winning program, comes from a winning, uh, winning culture. So hopefully, um, you know, he can bring some excitement back to, uh, UNLV football. Well, I know, uh, I know you're not, I know you're not working the phone with recruits and stuff like that, but just from just kind of sensing your pulse of that market that you work in there. I know you're with ESPN Vegas now. What, what's kind of maybe been the immediate reaction? It's only a couple hours old. What's kind of been the immediate reaction to the news that Marcus Arroyo is the guy? Um, I, shoot, immediate reaction like, who is this guy? <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> you, know um, you know, no one really knew about him uh, or heard about him. Um, I think if you didn't put Oregon behind his name, it'll probably be even uh, more shocking, but uh, everybody deserves a shot in this business, man. You know how it is. It's a, it's a circus. Uh, UNLV's been hiring coordinators for a long time, and it just hasn't been panning out for him. So hopefully he's able to bring some some good assistance around him that will be able to recruit uh, the Bishop Gorman kids, the Liberty kids out here, because uh, you look at the roster, they don't have uh, some of those kids from those two top programs that's here in the Las Vegas area. So uh, hopefully he's got to get on the ground running, man, and, uh, you know, uh, try to go down that 15 or that I-10 and, and get some of those kids out of California, Bakersfield, uh, Inland Empire. There's a lot of a lot of talent down there that he can try oh, yeah. to uh, sway to get down this way. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the Inland Empire there because that's well, like a two and a half hour ish drive, three hour drive, something like that. Not too far. I mean, and that's we're talking yeah, about. That's, that's, that, yeah, that's right down the highway, and um, you know, um, there's dudes know, out there take, for sure. Uh, yeah. And you know you can go after um, you know you can go after a five star kid or a four star kid and be hey you know we're, this is a new program this is a new regime we're trying to build something special we want you to be uh, the main catalyst to this program and uh, all you need to do is land one or two of those guys man you know how it works uh, the snowball effect all these guys want to play with their guys and um, you know if you're you know they got a tough schedule next year too so you know they they play against some some Big Ten teams. Uh, you know, they play against Arizona State, a Pac-12 team. So uh, if you're trying to recruit, you're going to tell these kids you're going to be playing against some of the top programs in the country. And uh, why not start here and build something special here in Las Vegas? Now, I'm a Raider fan, so the pitch, new stadium, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I know all about that. But Justin was telling me about new facilities. 
UNLV, they, they get new facilities, new coach. Uh, how do you feel that helps their pitch? Um, well, with, with the way the, the wave is right now, uh, obviously Oregon set the standard. Uh, you know, when they came out the box with the new facilities, the uniforms and the swag and uh, other teams followed Alabama, Ohio State. Now everybody's got new facilities. But those programs are winning. And, um, you know, it, it's going to help them out uh, tremendously, hopefully, uh, when you bring a kid on campus and you show them the new digs and uh, you let them know that the Raiders are coming in town, you know, there's a possibility that they can transfer over to John Gruden. You know, there's just things that you can throw out there to these young guys that can possibly help them. And uh, I know I was talking to Justin. Uh, one of the biggest alumni, uh, uh, former players, is Randall Cunningham. And uh, if you want to really get on board, you need to, uh, you know, reach out to Randall and – uh, put him on board somewhere, you know, have him in the building so when you have recruits coming in and uh, have him help sell your program, which he's on board to do uh, from talking to him um, every day uh, pretty much on the phone and seeing him in person. Uh, even uh, you know, I've even reached out to him as well and, and told him whatever, you know, I can do to help the program. Obviously, with me doing the camps and combines, coaching in uh, four high school All-American uh, games, I have access to a lot of kids that I can possibly help those guys out as well. You and uh, you and Randall played back in the day a little bit, right? You pick off a few of his pa- passes in practice. <laughs> um, I picked off a few passes, man. We do talk about that. Uh, you know, he's a minister now, so everything is kind of kind of rated G. It's kind of salted <laughs> down now. But uh, I see Randall probably like five days a week. Um, I help him out as well with his track team, as you guys know. His daughter Vashti uh, will be going for her second uh, Olympics uh, next year, so that's exciting as well. Yeah. That's crazy. No, and you know what? If if uh, you know having a guy like Randall Cunningham, uh, not only a, a legend in the NFL uh, in the football world, but but being clean cut, like you said, you know, moms and dads would love that as far as recruits go. If you bring him in and he's hanging out at UNLV, yeah, and that's some of the things that he was talking about. He said, whoever comes in, if I'm going to be a part of that program, um, they have to be a man of God. They have to have a good faith. They can't be. Uh, some coach that's just, just wilding out and is going to get sucked up by the Vegas life. And if I'm a parent, I do want to know that my kid is going to be surrounded by good men. And uh, it's, it's going to be a tough uh, you know, sale, but it can happen here in Vegas. You figure if you're a parent, you're sending your 17, 18, 19-year-old kid to uh, Sin City. And you know, if you're not <laughs> careful, you know, this town can suck you up. But having a, a pastor, Randall Cunningham, around your program or having an Icky Woods around your program or Keenan McCardo around your program, um, you know, it will definitely help out uh, with a new coach. So I'm sure Randall will probably reach out to him in, in some capacity. And uh, he'll be crazy not to want to bring Randall on board in some capacity of helping out uh, with the program. Mark, earlier Justin and I were raving about year two of, of Oregon and Mario Cristobal and expectations being met. And I want to flip that around on you. You have Marcus Arroyo now as the new coach at UNLV. What are your expectations for him? What's a good baseline year one? Um, he's, he's got to you know clean up the uh, the penalties. You know, it's not a, it wasn't a very disciplined ball team. Um, you got to come in. You got to win games. Uh, you know, they were in a lot of games, and um, you know, obviously they they've been owning the battle the last couple of years, but. Uh, right now in the Mountain West Conference, Boise State is, is the benchmark. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Hawaii with their new coach, they've been doing some special things. They were able to win uh, their side of the division. 
Um, even Wyoming's very competitive. You see what Air Force is doing. They're very competitive. Uh, you know, there's some job openings at Fresno State and Colorado State and Mexico. Uh, so there's still a lot of, lot, of, lot of room for growth for this program. And, um, you know, if he goes 500, um, I think next year will be, will, will be a, pro, a positive uh, thing for this program. Um, anything less than that, then you're going to start hearing people grumble again. But uh, you remember, he's got to be able to bring his own guys in. He's going to bring his recruits in. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it works out because he does have a, uh, you know, some young talent on this football program. Uh, I guess just from what you know, Mark, I know you've given us kind of the pulse of, of what's going around there, and, and I know you're a football guy. You know, football guys know football guys at the end of the day, you know, and I know you know right. that. Um, uh, first off, I, I'm really excited to hear about Icky Woods. I want to see the Icky shuffle. I want that. <laughs> that needs to be a, a staple of Marcus Arroyo down there. Uh, no. Anyway, anyways, just from what you know with Marcus Arroyo, and I know you touched on you know the recruiting a little bit, and you touched on getting the uh, the alum in there. But if if, he, if you're writing down a list, say Marcus Coach Arroyo, you really need to work on on these two or three things. Uh, what what are a couple of pieces of advice you're giving him to uh, to help himself at UNLV? Um, secure the state. You got to you got to be able to uh, win the recruiting war in your state. Um, you got Hawaii coming in here. Uh, you got Nevada coming in. Uh, you know, taking uh, kids that are that are locally here, and you got kids going you know, you know to Oregon, uh, USC, a lot of Pac-12 other schools, even BYU uh, in Utah. So you got to be able to uh, win your state. Uh, if you can get some of those top-tier athletes from a Bishop Gorman or a Liberty, um, you're going to do great things here because kids going to want to play with their guys. And obviously, you know, with parents uh, worrying about traveling, um, that, that's a key, man. you got to be able to uh, recruit California, L.A. Uh, areas uh, because, like I said, it's only a four-hour drive that parents have to take, and you're going to be playing in the, in the nice new stadium as well. So, uh, some of those things he's got to hit the ground running. Uh, like I said, uh, having alumni on your side is, is really big, uh, especially with a program uh, like this. You know, the Power Five schools. Uh, you know, it, it kind of speaks for itself. But uh, for for uh, UNLV, um, the young man has to hit the ground running. Um, you know, he's he's got to sell the program because a lot of people are going to be uh, kind of standoffish. But uh, you have we got to give the young man a chance. He's got an opportunity to. Uh, to do something special in a, in a, in a, in a special place. And uh, can you imagine if this team starts winning? Uh, it could be like the old basketball program, and oh, we yeah. know how that thing worked out. Yeah, that was good. The old Tark days, man, that was something right there. Yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. That was, uh, let's see, Larry Johnson was there, right, Grandma Mom? Larry Johnson. Yeah. Uh, Stacey Ogman, Anderson oh, Hunt. Man. Um, you know, Greg Anthony, they had some really good guys on there, and uh, those guys are like still gold here in Las Vegas. And, um, you know, he just has to go up there and just be himself, you know, because uh, obviously, you know, guys see through that. And the big thing, he's going to have to be able to pay his assistance. Um, you know, that's going to be the big key. Um, I don't know what his salary or what his contract is, but uh, if you want to get good quality assistance in here, uh, you're going to have to make sure you take care of your guys as well. Yeah. Yeah. From what you've gathered, has there been, uh, does it seem as though UNLV is willing to invest in that? resource in, in in giving the now head coach the resources to pay assistance um you know I, i've heard you know a number thrown around about a million dollars um you, know, you see sanchez was only making six hundred thousand the last couple of years right and if you're going to give a head coach you know a, a million or more obviously you're going to have to bump up his assistance as well and 
Um, you know, there's some assistant coaches out there that I'm sure will jump on this opportunity um, just because, um, you know, Vegas is, is, is kind of sexy for a lot of these guys uh, in the coaching ranks. And um, if they can uh, be able to somehow find some boosters uh, to jump on board to get some of these uh, talented recruiters that can recruit uh, California, um, even Texas, you know, you got you got to yeah. be able to hit those areas as well. And um, even, you know, you guys got some guys up there in the Seattle and Oregon area as well. So if you go steal one or two of those guys, uh, maybe, um, you know, bring some of his guys that he was recruiting while he was at Oregon, um, you know, I think that would be a, a big boost for him as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I'd mentioned earlier before we had you on, uh, Coach, was that, uh, you know, the, one of the greatest things about Vegas, not only if you're selling facilities and a new stadium and, and obviously a, a very lively city, but you guys have a hell of an airport down there. You can get anywhere you want any time of day, you know. But for recruiting purposes, that's huge, you know, for being right. able to fly families in and out. I mean, that's something that, you know, really, honestly, Oregon struggles with. They fly a lot of families into Portland and drive them down to Eugene because the airport's not that big and doesn't have that many flights. If you're Vegas, you got flights to everywhere all day long. You know, that's uh, yeah, and you know, you got a lot of straight flight flights as well. And you know, we can't. Uh, uh, miss out uh, the Fertitta family as well because you know his name is on that complex. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously Sanchez did a great job of raising money, but I'm sure he's going to have to meet uh, at some time with the uh, for the Fertittas, and you know I'm sure they had a hand in this uh, hire as well at some point uh, because he's given so much money to this program. So uh, you know, besides the money part, like I said, mentioning some of those former players and and getting some of those good assistants on board. Um, you know, that, that, that speaks volumes, man. I remember at Alabama seeing a Derek Thomas or Cornelius Bennett or, or Kent Stabler, you know, guy rest his soul, those guys around the program, that was huge for me, man, to see those guys being a part of the program. And you want to be a part of that. And you know how these kids are, man. They're, they're impressed by what they see on social media. But if you can go in and obviously these kids won't know who Randall Cunningham will, will but their parents will know. Oh, yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, the parents, have a say-so in these kids' decision as well. And if I'm a parent, you know, I want to know that my kid's going to be looked at after and uh, taken care of by some great men, not just, um, you know, worried about, worried about winning ball games on the field because, uh, you know, one day this game is going to be over. And uh, you want to be able to build build those uh, connections. And, uh, you know, if you're in hotel management or restaurant management or casino, man, this is, this is a great opportunity for you to get a degree here and then just transfer over into – uh, city that's going to just just continue to thrive right definitely uh no coach we've uh we've appreciated your insight and uh you know i know you got your i know you got your uh hand your pulse on the market down there and you're a football guy um you still a little bit of bummed about bama not making the playoffs this year i, I bet you cried a little bit uh you know what i didn't <laughs> i didn't i wasn't bummed because i you know all year we've been struggling on the defense the end of the, of the ball and we were just giving up way too many points we wasn't aggressive at all we didn't have that dominant pass rusher. We didn't have that dominant secondary that we were used to. And obviously with Tua being in and out of the lineup, we lose Jalen Hurst. There was just a lot of stuff to overcome, man. For those guys to still just be in that position uh, to have a shot was pretty a pretty pretty remarkable. But uh, hats off to my man at uh, Clemson, Dabo, man. You know, that's my Bama teammate, so I got to pull for Clemson now, man. Oh, man, you're all in on Team Clemson, huh? I like it. I'm all – I'm all in on Team Clemson. Ohio State looks really good, but uh, they looked really good a couple of years ago when they played uh, Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl, and we see how that turned out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's why they play the games, right? That's why they 
Why yep. not play the games? Yep. <laughs> you go, you, uh, I'm going to send you off on this. I know that there's a, you know, I followed it and I, I like it all the time, but I know grilling with McMillan is a real thing down there. You got, you got anything going on today or anything coming up this weekend that's, you know, coming on out of the grilling with McMillan hopper? Oh man, you know, right now I got a I got a good porterhouse steak that's marinating, mm. man. I got to go to Bible study tonight. You know, Pastor Cunningham is, you know, he's got his church out here called Remnant Ministry. So after church, man, I'm gonna fire that grill up, man. So <laughs> I appreciate it, man. And like I say Grill McMillan's a real deal, man. And uh, you know, we bring on uh, restaurants and chefs on ESPN uh, Radio here in Las Vegas every Tuesday, and uh, you know, it's kind of taken off as well. So you know, our next step, man, is to try to pitch this thing and do a tailgate. Grilling McMillan show before a Raider game. How crazy would that be? Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Put you on the map here. Uh, my co host, Matt, here is a big Raiders fan. Yeah. So I, I can just picture the nation drooling at that. That just, that, that's our wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to be wild, man. I know the Raider fans, they do tailgate really good. It's a lot of tri tip out there in the, in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the parking lot. So I know that'll be one of my favorites. Uh, to throw down on the grill. So, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, taking this thing to the next level, man. It, it's really hard to screw up a tri-tip, but when you nail it, you've nailed it. It's money in the bank. Yep, and there's money in the bank, man. So if I can get Raider Nation, obviously, you know, playing with the Chiefs, it's going to be a little – I'm sure there's going to be some fans that don't want to taste my meat. They think I might poison them, but we'll, we'll make it all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it all right. Well, well, Coach, we appreciate your time and, uh, and and kind of sharing what's going on with this hire as it's, as it's unfolding, and we'll bring you back again. I right, appreciate it, man. You guys do a great job with, with what you guys are doing on Oregon football, and uh, good luck in the Rose Bowl. All right. Thanks, Coach. All right, so I, I feel pretty good about this week. A ton on Marcus Arroyo. For those who just, you know, woke up out of a rock, he is now the head coach at UNLV. A ton. Oh, that was a security sensor oh. going off in our building. Oh, we're good. Nothing to see yeah. here. We got a new guy. Oh, so <laughs> every, every time we have a new guy, we have to train the new guy and we give him a security code gotcha. so that when he walks in here at 7 in the morning, the SWAT team doesn't show up. Doesn't show up and take yeah. him down. It's amazing how that works. Stealing vital radio intel. Co- County jurisdiction here on Highway <laughs> 238, so uh, we don't want OSP getting up on us. No. Uh, anyway, back to what I was saying. Yeah. Um, Marcus Arroyo, yep. UNLV. Yep. And the Ducks beat Utah. The yep. Ducks are the Pac-12 champs. Yep. Going to the Rose Bowl. Yep. We're going to have a bunch of Wisconsin talk in the weeks ahead. Yep. I feel like we can put a bow on football. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, football, I'd say we're done. Uh, maybe send it out. Recruiting, you know, obviously recruiting, we haven't, we just haven't really been able to talk as much in the last few, I guess, few months, if you will, because honestly, there just hasn't been a lot of movement. You know, Oregon so much success in the spring and in the in the pre you know just in the late summer the early summer uh, you know having a lot of its class wrapped up uh, you know right now Oregon's probably only got two three maybe four spots left in this recruiting class um, if you don't know the early signing period is Wednesday one week from now uh, which is really really uh, almost since it since its adoption a couple years ago has taken over the original signing day in February. So it used to always be the first Wednesday in February. Then they adopted the early signing period. And, you know, it was, it was, it was kind of a, the first year was really weird. And now here we are, I believe in the third year. Um, 
it's really taken the wind out of the sails of the of the original signing day in February. Uh, I believe that Oregon, of its current commit list of, I think, 23 is the number right now, I believe that only one or two of those current commits will not sign one week from today. Uh, but posted about them on Scoop Duck uh, a little bit, uh, which means ultimately that uh, 95% of the class is done now. Uh, you know, Oregon's definitely in the mix for five-star linebacker Justin Flo. Very well documented. That I mean, right now it's looking like it's Oregon and Clemson and USC, and I'll just say those are the big three. I think everyone felt Clemson had a huge lead at the beginning. I think Oregon's closed the gap. I think you know as this. So here's how recruiting works: it gets kind of into the 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 twelfth hour, the final hour, and suddenly staying closer to home becomes a bigger priority. So, right. And you've mentioned this before. Yeah, I just think for flow, that's becoming a bigger reality. Of man, Clemson's way over there. You know. And, you know, you have you have pretty good options in a school like Oregon and a school like USC that's, you know, at least on, on your coast. Um, so I think that's the trend there. You know, you've got two defensive backs in Dante Manning and Kali Ringo. Kali's another five-star. Dante Manning's a, a top 100 four-star defensive back. At this point, Oregon's really just recruiting elite dudes. I mean, there's no need to be taking flyers or, you know, I know they've made some new offers. They've turned a lot of guys away that, that most schools would, would, uh, would jump at having. And that's just another testament to the success of, of Mario Cristobal in Oregon. So what will probably happen if I have to guess is next week when Matt and I do our podcast, which will be either Wednesday or Thursday, depending how things shake out there. Uh, you know, we could talk about the class that Oregon signed, who signed, who didn't, and really that'll probably be a pretty recruiting-centric podcast uh, next week, just kind of putting a bow on that. Um, you know, otherwise, I've mentioned those names. Um, the, there really isn't just a ton of recruiting. Almost everybody's really strongly committed, you know, to Oregon. Um, you know, the Marcus Arroyo leaving – you know, I think the most documented shakeout there is Johnny Wilson, uh, four-star wide receiver, has been committed to Oregon since the summer. Um, ASU is definitely in the mix and been in the mix and, and, and really a very serious threat to flip him from Oregon. You know, it's probably not that far-fetched to believe the Marcus Arroyo news doesn't help. Not only did he recruit him, now you kind of wonder, you know, what Oregon's offense will be like, who's going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. You know, these are sort of things that happen when you get a week before signing day and this stuff happens. But, again, that's going to happen to a school like Oregon that, you know, exceeded expectations, uh, you know, won a, uh, won a Pac-12 championship, headed to the Rose Bowl. With all these great successes, the byproducts are your coaches are getting hired, you're recruiting guys that other teams really want. Um, it means you just have to work that much harder. So, uh, again, as far as the fallout, using my quotation fingers here, um, <laughs> from Marcus Arroyo, I think I think Johnny Wilson, who was already kind of sliding that way a little bit. Right. Other than that, I don't see a big impact, which is not a ne- a knock against Marcus Arroyo. He was very valuable to Oregon from a recruiting standpoint. Right. He didn't just recruit quarterbacks, and that's it. It's not a diss on him. It's a compliment on the program around him. Yeah, I mean, I th- you know, for Oregon, every commit, every commit they have, sure, they might have like a primary recruiter, might have one coach they talk to more than the others, but they talk to two or three or four coaches every week. So let's just say, for instance, Jay Butterfield, a quarterback committed to Oregon. It's not like he's only heard from Marcus Arroyo to date. You know, uh, Coach Booknight, uh, Coach Mastro, these other coaches have, have continued to develop a, rela- a relationship too. 
for this exact reason. So it's not like, Hey, I have no idea who any of these other coaches are. My guy just left, you know? So again, Mark's Royal, I think if he takes Mark McMillan's advice and goes to Las Vegas and really puts an emphasis on keeping kids in state, you've got Bishop Gorman, you've got some good schools down there, you know, go set up shop there. Are you going to beat USC out for, for guys? Probably not. I mean, let's be realistic. Boise state doesn't UNLV's probably not, but that next tier of guys, that's where you make your money. And mm-hmm. that, that's where you go find these guys that, Hey, he was only a three-star at a high school or whatever. His biggest offer was Nevada. Those are the guys you go find, and that's how you build a program. That's what Chris Peterson did at Boise State. That's what Brian Harshan's done at Boise State uh, following him. Those are what the good programs do. So um, I, I think if Marcus Royal, I think he'll have recruiting success at UNLV. Obviously not. I think Marcus Royal has a bigger following with current recruits than maybe guys like Mark McMillan. You know, Mark McMillan – he's better attached with the Jim Mora's and the guys he played with and the guys that coached him and stuff like that, a different generation. Mm-hmm. I think recruits are going to know Marcus Royal very well in his body of work. Um, you know, he's going to be able to say, Hey, look, I had one of the most efficient offenses in the PAC 12, won a PAC 12 championship. He's going to be able to go into homes and sell that. Right. Right. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see. Um, my computer's starting to wig out, Uh-oh. so I feel like we Doesn't. really should just... <laughs> before meltdown ensues, but Be- yeah. Before so, we lose the entire pod. So next week, we'll do recruiting heavy. Uh, we'll get to Wisconsin as well, and uh, I suppose that's a wrap for the week. Yeah, yeah, and uh, a lot of talk on hoops. They just haven't played a lot of games right now. No. And, and we could talk about Sedona Prince. You you tweeted about it earlier. I tweeted about it earlier. It's dumb. The ladies got robbed. Yeah, it's they, dumb. They got robbed. We, we'll talk about that next week. Also getting you ready for the Rose Bowl, yeah. Scoop Duck and High Five. Thanks for listening. <laughs>